0: Talking about racism in the workplace can be difficult. Messy. But one of the worst things a company can do is to not only refuse to address it, but to think it doesn't exist in their organization at all. Racism is a systemic problem. And progress against it has been painfully slow over our country's history. The recent protests in the U.S. that started back on May 26th in Minneapolis in response to the death of George Floyd sparked a movement that had companies taking a hard look at policy bias and racism in their own workplaces. To help address these issues, companies can bring in someone like Kim Crowder. Kim Crowder is a consultant whose expertise covers diversity, equity, and inclusion. In particular, she's a corporate anti-racist trainer, helping companies create inclusive marketing and communications. Kim, well, she's been busy lately. And for companies looking to work with her, all of Kim's anti-racist trainings start with the same question. Are your company leaders invested in this? I talked with Kim about how to create lasting change in the workplace, why racism affects all employees, and how leaders can build inclusive marketing at their own companies. I found this conversation to be so helpful, insightful, and inspiring. I hope you do too. I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and this is The Growth Show. I thought maybe we could begin by having you
1: just tell us a bit about the work that you do. Sure. So I am a diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism consultant for organizations and a trainer. And so long story short, what that means is I help companies live out their core values. I think often people think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism kind of in this like bubble, this box off to itself and this is leadership work, right? Right. Company work. It is workplace culture work. It is workplace satisfaction work. So it hits all of that. And then what it turns into at the end of it, it connects with your audiences. It resonates with the products that you create. It resonates around the processes that you have. It really does hit every single level of organizations and the sooner organizations can start thinking that way and really embracing that way of thinking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism, gosh, they will be absolute industry leaders and innovators on a whole different level.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's what's, that is what's so interesting about this is it, it permeates everything and it's ever evolving. And so I guess, my next natural question is like, how do you get into this line of work? It it feels like there's no clear roadmap for it. It feels like it is this intersection of a number of different things. How did you discover this work?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question, Megan. I will say some of this, right, is I am a Black woman, right? That is just what it is. Right. So there's a natural piece of that that I am directly like, attracted to about diversity, equity, and inclusion, not only an anti-racism, not only because I'm a Black woman, that, yes, happens because of my experiences, but where I really got interested in this work was as I started to climb the ladder and I started to notice there were differences in the ways that people were being treated. Yeah. And of course, I know this in my everyday life, but now I'm moving on to becoming an executive, and really kind of at this table where there are other executives and other thought leaders and people who are making major decisions and realizing that at that level, there still isn't room being made for people like me. And what's scary about that is, is that the best ideas exit the room, right? If we aren't willing to pause and listen to those folks, who have these vast amount of experiences and not only listen, but embrace those ideas, embrace those experiences, because there is a different level of scrappiness that you have to have as someone from an unrepresented population to get to a certain place or to even show up to work every day. And I will tell you, I kind of got into this, like the work part by accident. Uh, (laughs) I used to work uh, in a library system. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And I noticed, for one, the library industry is very much so somewhere between 70 and 80 percent white women. Right. So that already limits what kind of um, language and what type of conversations are happening. And so I started talking about this little by little because I was noticing things were happening and I could get even deeper, but noticing how I was being treated, frankly, in the industry. And then I went and spoke at a conference on a whim. And I say on a whim as in, I, you know, you you go through the process of saying, hey, I want to speak and here's what I want to speak on. But as in, I was like, you know, I really feel passionate about this. And so I did that. And um, this was actually in New Orleans. And people showed up in droves to hear about what I was speaking about. Yeah. And then after that, I couldn't stop people from calling me. Were you surprised? Yeah, absolutely I was. Because sometimes you don't know if what you're thinking is on everybody else's priority list. Sure. So what I realized is as a Black woman, I wasn't the only one interested in this. There were absolutely white people who very much so wanted to know about this. There were people from all backgrounds who were saying, we want to know how to do better and how to be more inclusive and celebrate each other in our work environment.
0: So you've built this whole system of corporate anti-racist trainings. Can you tell us a little bit about the typical setup? What's the experience like when you're in a training?
1: I go through a real customization process. Okay. I need to know what's ailing you at the organization. You know, what are your pain points? What are the things that your team and staff are going to really find valuable when I speak to them, right? Because I could come in and talk to them about any old thing. And I could kind of say in general, this is what it is. But if it doesn't connect, yeah. we're not really doing the real work. And so I first start off listening a lot. Um, and then from that listening place, we look in, and say, you know, what are the two or three themes that keep bubbling up to the top? And sometimes those themes are different depending on employee level, right? It yeah. can be very different in the boardroom. It could be different for mid-level management. It could be different for staff. It can be a bit nuanced in that. And so I intake all of that information. I say, okay, here's kind of a layout. Here's some 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 an outline of what I'm thinking. I do some collaboration and then we look at training. So I really like to work with the heartbeat of an organization. Huh. When does your staff learn best? Where are you in your work cycle? But I'm always wanting to be extremely conscious to make sure that what is going to be shared is going to connect and we workshop it. We yeah. not, I don't come in and talk at you. You have homework to take with you. I recommend resources. And we have dialogue back and forth because your team needs to hear from each other. Because when I walk away, they'll be left building those relationships together.
0: I wonder if you could kind of get us even just in our own imaginations inside that typical anti-racist training room? What does it feel like in the room? What are some of the observations that somebody in that room would have?
1: For one, that everyone comes to it at a different place in their journey. Right. Totally different. Some people are forced to be there. It could be that people have already started this work. I mean, there is such a myriad and a vast difference on where in this journey people can be. And so the first thing that I do is I'm vulnerable. Hmm. I provide my own experience not just in the way as as a black woman this is how I have experienced racism like it has happened to me but also here are some ways that I myself have bias. Yeah. I like to start there and being honest.
0: That's really interesting.
1: Yeah because if I can say hey this these are the ways that not only it affected me but also another way that I have acted in a way around systematic racism based on what I have learned, then now hopefully you feel a little bit more free to even consider what your role may be. Right. So I like to start there from a vulnerability place. I am providing some context around history Mm -hmm. because often what I realize is that people don't know a lot of history that they weren't explicitly told in school and bring that to the present day how does that impact present day? So now I'm dealing with some analytical side of it, right? These are hard facts around this. And then I move on to, hey, you know, again, to my story. So I kind of bookend them. I go back and forth between data Mm -hmm. and then experience, data and experience, because I need to make sure that the way I present the information connects with those who think and operate in a myriad of ways.
0: It just strikes me as incredibly dynamic Has there been anything that surprised you in any of these training sessions? I'll actually tell you
1: a story from a training I just did. Um, So I had uh, a group of people join me. And these are people who were kind of self-elected. like They decided on the outside, their leaders and staff within major organizations like Adobe, um, like Smug Mug and Flickr, who said, I want to come in on my own and learn. And so we did this virtual training. And what is so beautiful is that at the end, by the end of it, people felt like they knew each other. And so much so that I had a a white man cry and say, I get it at least as much as I can. Now I understand and now I can't unsee it. I can't go back to how I've been operating. And I say white man, because we know who gets to benefit the most from, you know, systematic racism. So if we can get a white man to connect in a way that he is brought to tears, think about the power of that, because he said, I will forever carry this forward. There is like, I have no excuse, no excuse not to act on what I know, and no excuse not to continue learning. And then he contacted me the very next day and said, I want to bring this to my organization. Wow. That's that's powerful.
0: Yeah, it sounds to me like you're creating a lot of space for everyone and enabling people to see their unique role in this. I, I feel like after reading and learning and listening myself, I've come to see that a good number of people still see racism as sort of a simple equation, racist, bad, not racist, good. And so if I'm a good person, then I can't be racist. And so I guess I'm wondering, like, do you come across that kind of binary thinking in this? And how do you help break that down?
1: Yeah, that's a good, good one. And yes, so yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For for one, sometimes I add in a white ally in order to really help people see some things from that point of view. Yeah. Also, I'll say um, around the idea of you're good and bad. And I'm if I do this exactly, then I'll have the answers and no longer will I be a bad person. I try to really help people understand that racism is a construct. Yeah. And it is very much so systematic and embedded into every part of our society. Right. So I like to say that we are all planted in soil, our roots go down into this soil, which means that we also absorb what is in that soil? Mm. And if that's the case, then what fruit do we sprout? And then what fruit do we need to prune? And it's not all negative, right? It's not all bad. But gosh, of course, we have a piece of that in us. And so the more that I can get people to really dismantle this idea that one, racism looks a very certain way. Uh, being uh, biased looks a very one certain way, you know, is we can get away from that, but also away from this idea that it is not common to have been affected by systematic racism. Yeah. I try to help people understand that. And the more we can talk about this shared experience of loss and then what the solutions and opportunities are to regain that power That's where we can really move forward to collectively together.
0: You know, it feels like there can sometimes be this fear from companies that this type of training could further divide a company or let's not talk about it because it could create fractions. It could make people feel more different or more other. Can you talk a little bit
1: about how you address that when you encounter it? This is an area I struggle with in the way of should people have to come to this training? I don't have the full answer to that. That's just me being really transparent there. Yeah. I say that because for those people who are, who have maybe been in a traumatic place because of it, um, because of racism, you know, what we've watched happen in this country and the way that that affects certain groups, particularly Black people, Mm. emotionally, do they want to do this? But then on the flip side, it's cathartic too. Yeah. And so being brave and bold as an organization and also choosing vulnerability is such power if organizations can see it that way. Because what it can do is now change the landscape of how your organization communicates and relates to each other overall.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, we sort of hit this mass momentum recently of companies supporting and amplifying Black voices. And that, oftentimes turned into single tweets, videos, ad spots, uh, and, and of course, that's not nearly enough. What advice do you have for companies that want this to last beyond the first wave of tweets and videos and internal discussions that want this to be a real sea change? How do you make this a standing piece of your culture and a standing piece of the way that you represent your company
1: outside of its walls? Sure. The first thing I would say is look at your company policies to see if there's any racism, bias, anything hiding in there. Mm. Sometimes that happens. I've spoken with organizations who say we only hire from within, but you're a majority white organization. Yeah. What does that produce? Because five, do- five years down the road, you're saying you want to be more diverse. But can you be <laughs> Um, so looking at, you know, some, some things that you have in place around what skill sets, right? Or, or do we find more, most valuable? Yeah. This idea of culture fit, right? Who gets to be part of culture fit and what that really, really means. So there are some of that there. Also, that C-suite, yeah. that part is the biggest shift that organizations can start making to bring people to the table who have power and understanding. Yeah. And so the challenge is, is that we know that most boardrooms are white male by and large. And then when we talk about adding in minority voices, depending on the industry, that looks very much so one way. Yeah. As in South Asian, right? Yeah. Uh, particularly around tech. And so using that as saying we are diverse, what it means is a uh, diverse and inclusive has different set points. Right. Depending on where your organization is. And so making this giant wave of, oh, but look, we are, here's how we are, but thinking on it as a fluid continuum in that, okay, do we look just like the rest of the industry? Yep. Now, if that's the case, how do we move this forward in ways where we're saying, you know, people are saying, Oh, you know, we can't get our black and brown employees to stick around. Oh, we can't get really uh you know we can't find diverse candidates is that true or does it have a lot more to do with your willingness or unwillingness to be more proactive around this and to really get serious and honest about the roadblocks that are happening maybe when people come in your environment is not inclusive but also remembering that representation matters and so if people are not seeing that happen within your organization your, you know, employees are also, or, or those who are on the job market are customers. And yeah. so if they can't see themselves in your organization, why would they want to show up every day?
0: Right. Looking ahead, as we continue on in, in trying to figure this out, trying to create more inclusive and welcoming workplaces, how do you think that companies should establish these avenues for employees to be more open and honest about their experiences? What have you seen work well?
1: Yeah, that is a robust question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no pressure to solve all our problems with one question. Sorry about that.
1: <laughs> it, 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 the reason it is, so I'll, I'll, I'll just name a few. The reason it is so robust is because often diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti racism isn't only about diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti racism. Mm. Sometimes it's about how companies communicate with each other or or employees or staff or upper level management, how they communicate at baseline. Yeah. Whether or not vulnerability is embraced within organizations, whether or not people in general feel safe in those environments. And so if you think about it from that place, then you go do we have a company culture thing that we need to be working on so that we create room and space to have these conversations? Yeah. Employee resource groups, yes, th- those are available, um, particularly you know for certain groups who really want to come together and the allies who are maybe not a part of those communities to come together to talk about things. But if they don't have real power or a a listening ear at upper level management, then it's just a group of people meeting on a regular basis. Right. And that becomes frustrating, frankly, for employees. I think what we're seeing is that things haven't been working. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is that organizations have to be authentic and real about wanting this change and then being really open to listening to staff, to those people who show up to work every day, who know your industry, who know your corporate environment already. And then take what they say to heart. Those are the things that really work, I think, in any relationship.
0: Yeah. Kim, how do you see your own consultancy evolving over the span of this year and beyond? Where are you headed
1: next? Ooh, what I predict is that more organizations will understand why it's so important to bring someone like me into their environment and who will be more willing to really hear and make some decisions based on that. I'm already seeing that, and also what I'm seeing for organizations who have either a small amount of staff or who are very much so new in building their organizations, those are the folks coming to me saying, we wanna do this early.
0: Early, that's great.
1: We don't wanna wait until we're in a desperate place. We wanna start talking now, and that is extremely exciting. So I see more startups having these conversations earlier. I'm seeing more organizations uh, for my consultancy start to say, now we really get it. And then also starting to see some organizations really build long-term relationships with practitioners, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and anti-racism practitioners, because now they know this is not a one and done. This is not about just some quick blanket training. This is about something we have to live and breathe and carry out for the long term.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I guess my final question for you is you could have entered into this realm of training through a number of different ways. You could have done training through schools or training through the government. What is it about corporate training and driving change through businesses that? You feel like is
1: most fertile? Sure. I will say the first part is that my personal experiences in the corporate environment were extremely, some of them were extremely stressful. And it basically created a chem that wasn't the real chem. And unfortunately, those organizations did not get to benefit from me being my full self, from me being my full innovative self, from me being my full creative self, from really under, for you know from really understanding and wanting to champion their mission, so they missed out on a big key player that could have moved a lot of things forward and could have really avoided a lot of mistakes because there were some mistakes happen yeah. that happened in organizations when they wouldn't listen. So that is one piece of that we yeah. all have to go to work. And so, shouldn't work be a place that we all want to go to? For starters, yeah. <laughs> right, right. We all want to show up every day. We are all excited about moving whatever cause we've decided that we are collectively working together with in the work environment forward. Right. Also, there is uh, frankly a lot of power in organizations as far as the way that uh, they shape the way that we think as people or they shape what messages we get, shaping what products we end up using. And so if we can get some movement on the more corporate side of things for folks to really start thinking about their output, it only benefits all of us who naturally have to take part in some way of products, what we watch on television, you hear on the radio. It touches every bit of everyone. And so for me, I really feel deeply that organizations could be at the forefront of this if they're willing to kind of stop thinking about it in the way of money, right? Of of the capitalism part, but start thinking about it in the human part too.
0: Absolutely, very well said. Thank you so much, Kim. How can people learn more about your work?
1: Oh yes, by all means, ways that people can stay connected with me is to show up to my website, KimCrowderConsulting.com and sign up for my newsletter. That is an absolute great way for us to stay connected. And I'll be offering some free resources very soon. So I want people to be willing and able to take advantage of those by already being on my newsletter list. The sooner they can do it, the better, because those will be out really soon. That is
0: awesome. I'm heading over there right after this call. Thank you so much for sharing that resource. And thanks for taking the time to talk with us today.
1: Thank you so much. I so appreciate your having me. This was a lot of fun.
0: Today's episode was written and produced by Matthew Brown. Music came from Tyler Litwin and Synchronize. You can follow us on Twitter at The Gross Show. Or email us at hello at the gross show We read all your messages and always love hearing from you. And if you're a fan of the show, tell a friend. If you're not a fan of the show, tell a friend. Either way, word of mouth is one of the best ways to help the show. As always, I'm Megan Keeney Anderson, and stay safe out there.